Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. <clears throat> we still were recording, yeah? Okay. Yeah, cool. Yeah, cheers, me, 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 me. And we're in. Hello, my name is Will Young. Welcome to another episode of Homo Sapiens. My name is Christopher Sweeney. <gasps> That's who you are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to put my finger on it. It's week eight. Just... That's Nelly. That's Nelly. Can you hear that? A growl. A weird sound. They haven't been on the podcast no, for a while. they haven't, have they? Welcome back, Nelly. It's a really fun week we've got this week, because we're chatting to the screenwriter, Russell T. Davies. How much do you love him? If you don't know who Russell T. Davies is... Shame on you! <laughs> Shame on you, sister! He wrote, who is this guy? Who is this guy? He's the man famously responsible for bringing back Doctor Who. No way! I goddamn I love that programme! <laughs> And he wrote Queer as Folk. What a seminal gay TV show. The first sort of big gay series, mm. um, if only actually, on, yes. which is slightly worrying considering it was in the uh, late 90s, on TV. And he wrote um, recent gay TV shows like Cucumber. Yes. He's an exceptionally talented man who has been single-handedly responsible for getting queer voices heard. I just like desperate to be his friend. Everyone should have a Russell T. Davis in their lives because mm. he's like this amazing mixture of experienced, not bitter, fresh, self-deprecating yet confident, mm. kind yet also, you know, able to say some like fun things. And he said one thing that I've never heard anyone else say. God, you're good looking, Will. <laughs> it wasn't that. Was it when but, he said you looked like Thelma out of Thelma and Louise? You know what? Funny enough, I scrapped that from my memory because that was a huge black mark against his name. <laughs> I fed him the line. Brad Pitt, I said. I paused. I Confession, I'm not sure I've seen Thelma and Louise. If I had m- my lighter on me, I would drop it on the floor. Um, you know what really annoys me is when people say, oh my God, what, you haven't seen Thelma and Louise? Yeah. They kind of shame you I, for not seeing just a film. Said, yeah, exactly. You're like, I just told you that. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. And also... How many times in your life have you pretended to have seen something or read something? I just think it's really boring to do that. Just say. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Proust, whatever yeah. it's called. You know, I literally, I think I said Nietzsche for about 15 years before realising it was Nietzsche. And right. even then I thought it was a car make. <laughs> Honestly. Got myself a new Nissan Nietzsche. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. a little bit of Windy Pops there because um, there's something different about this week, isn't there, Will? 
What's happened now? We're having a little drink. Oh, okay. I just want to point out that it's five o'clock somewhere. We're past the yard arm, as they say. Yeah. We're having a pint from across the road. I've stolen the it. Road. You've stolen it. Did you say you were going to... No, I've, I went in. I've got so many glasses from there. Have you? Yeah. So there's a pub across the road from Will's house. I went really in. Really lovely. There was a couple meeting for a date at the bar when I arrived. No way. <clears throat> yeah. No way. Two guys. And they... You know, Two when guys? It's, yeah. And it's so... You know, and it's so awkward. And I basically leant round and just stared. I was like, I have to hear this conversation. I've been on a lot of dates in that pub. Have you? Not a lot, actually. It's it is close one to of, home. It's, one, it's, it's close to home. Um, for, not for um, that reason. <laughs> yeah, hang on. This um, could go either no, way. No, I do worry about that because I think, God, my, when I say like, bye, bye, and I have to walk further cool. down the street than is where my house is. But so is it a good date pub then? I think it's a good date pub because there's the option of food. It's not sort of too romantic. It's not too hip. It's quite relaxed. Very true. I think pubs are, well, hey, okay, let's throw it out to the listeners. Oh. Where are your go-to places for, for dates? For a first date. You said something great once, which you said, you think all first dates should be an M&S. Because you go for a little shop, you've got something to do. <laughs> did you did say that. <laughs> oh my God, that's so awful. Because then you've got something to do and you go around, you can talk about what you need to get. And You know what? I think you're right. And actually my brother said, don't hump the leg. Esme. Why did he say that? No, yes. <laughs> I got confused. I thought it was the table. Do something on a date. Because he was like, mm. who just sits opposite each, each other? It's like, an it's like an interview. I hate dates, Chris. I've gone off Tinder. Have you? Why? The majority of my boyfriends I haven't met online. I've only met one of my boyfriends online. Yes. And I just feel like I just want to meet someone normally. Normally, I mean, like, I don't mean normally. He said the word normal. (laughs) What is normal? Um, I just want to meet someone just in a more relaxed way. The annoying thing about it is Tinder and those apps, when you're on them, you feel like there's a very small amount of distance between you and the perfect person. Oh, my God, yes. Whereas actually there isn't. It's the same as you were 10 minutes ago before you picked up the app. I do my sister's Tinder for her a lot, and we've got different taste in men, let's say. <laughs> She's always like, um, the Swiss bankers got back to me. I'm like, yeah, he seemed lovely. Perfect. Hello. She doesn't like Swiss bankers. Swiss bankers? She likes artists. No, they're cray-cray. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, that's so interesting about Tinder and the other apps are available, mm. um, that, yes, the opportunities or the thing, the distance between myself and the perfect person seems far less because Mm. there's such there's so many in a kind of confined space also i don't get to know someone primarily on looks i might not even fancy them to begin with Mm. i'll fancy them more or not as i talk to them that's the key thing once i start talking to them Mm. i would say most of the time i'm like "Mm, i don't think we're right interesting my experience Nelly Monster is now growling at me. Um, My experience of that, so there's this thing about love at first sight, right? Psychotherapists would say that love at first sight is entirely projection. So you're projecting onto that person the thing you want them to be. But I had love at first sight with my husband, William. Oh, did you? I really did. And he did look like a Swiss banker. So maybe there was some projecting there. It, maybe it was projecting, but I literally had... This is how it went. You know when something just happens, and it, I looked over, and I saw him, and my brain went, oh, he's, he's the one. 
No. It was so weird. And, you, and you'd, ne- you'd heard a lot about him, but you'd never met him. No, and I'd seen pictures of him, so I knew I thought he was handsome. I'd stalked him online. <laughs> and I looked at him, and yeah, that, it was like another a ping, a voice went in my head. Went, that's it. And then, so I was like, right, let's go do this. I see. He wasn't now, interested in me. No, that whole story I love. I but was I projecting? See, as someone who is, who would be labelled a love addict. Not by me. It can be. What I would notice is that initial rush of like, oh my God, here we go. Oh, there is a rush. There is a serious connection between us. Would actually be, it it actually means now, as I've realised, the person is completely wrong for me. That's because there's now I'm not saying that about you William by the way because it's not nice it's, to hear the vicar it, saying from your own <laughs> wedding say that you think the whole hey, thing hey listen defunct. I was getting paid I'll do whatever <laughs> um, for me mm-hmm. it's an adrenaline rush you know I still laugh and I know we laugh because I'll be like oh I'll be marrying him you know no. yeah, but yeah, I yeah. think when I really meet someone and it comes from a very centred place not a kind of heightened because there would always be the relationships where I just have amazing sex and loads of arguments mm. you know and that's not cool. So it took it took me about three years mm. to re. I'm not joking to reprogram my body and nervous system mm. and mind that that connection is not the right connection. <clears throat> and, that, and it's so difficult for me now when I see other people because I hear them say, "We just have this fizz," and as soon as I hear the word fizz, mm. I'm like, mm. "I'm just not sure about fizz." It's really interesting you say that because this is not to do with love, but I was talking to a therapist and she said, how do you know when something is actually a bad idea that you think is a good idea? And I said, the weirdest thing is, I know when something is actually going to end up being a bad decision when I feel in the moment so emphatically that it's the right decision. Oh my God, yes. Because it's coming off a fizz and adrenaline rather than it being a measured decision. And so if I call you up, as we do exchange ideas a lot, and it's like, oh, my God, I've decided I'm going to sell my house and I'm going to get a hot air balloon. You can travel anywhere in it, you know, and you just go on this big sort of thing and you're a bit high off the idea. That is when I have to go, hmm, we've been here before. That is not right. And it should just be a much more like, yeah, let's do it. Oh, my God. I have to say, I think that is an amazing place to get to, to notice that. And uh, because for me... Exactly the same if I'm like, and you know I can get it. I must ring you up loads of times and go, oh my God, I found this place. Mm. Oh my God, I met, you know, could be met this person. I mean, it is met this person. Mm. Or, oh my God, this song. You know, mm. if something's right, it's easy. Mm. It's easy. And for people that are used to working off adrenaline, yeah. it seems boring. Yes. It's like, no, this is boring. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. like this podcast, mm. I mean, we just sort of, came up with the idea and then we did it mm. there hasn't really been any like Thing. adrenaline kind of you know mm. apart from a, the potential of a brush with Eamon and Ruth on this morning but then that <laughs> went away did they talk about us going on this morning no I just made that up oh I was going to say that would be <laughs> but wouldn't that be amazing wouldn't it be oh amazing? should we get on with it Eamon and Ruth if you're listening and it has to be Eamon and Ruth for me I just think they're cosy, but you could also get shit-faced with them. They're like other people's parents. Then. Yeah, yeah, you, you'd do. go around for a barbecue, but you just know that Amy yeah. would end up getting pissed and naked and jumping in the pool. Yeah. Or a pond. Or yeah. a puddle. 
we are really honoured to be asked to go to the London Podcast Festival Saturday, the 16th of September. We've been around for about six English minutes yeah. when it comes to podcasts. Yeah. My dad wrote a porno there. Amazing people are there and they've yeah. asked us to come along. Yeah. Very flattered. Please head to kingsplace.co.uk forward slash homo sapiens to buy a ticket and we would love to see you there. Please come say hi. www.kingsplace.co.uk forward slash homo sapiens. Our conversation with Russell T. Davies is coming up, people. Russell is a hugely inspiring person. And on the topic of that, we wanted to ask Twitter, who is your most inspirational person? Yes. So off we headed to the land of Twitter. Well, I see a GIF. And now I know what a GIF is. Oh, Thank you. And I know who that is, even from the silhouette. Paul Madden says George Michael. It's... Oh, that's not George Michael, is it? I thought it was David Bowie. (laughs) Isn't that David Bowie? Can I make a confession? I wasn't the music-wise, the biggest fan of George Michael. Well, I think... (laughs) I think that's absolutely fine. I mean... Why are you crying then? I'm not yet... I'm not a massive fan of the Pet Shop Boys. No, I'm not Of their music. No. Them, lovely. George Michael, amazing person who did incredible things. But I just never really connected with his music and I always find it strange when you can't hear something that other people can hear. I had that with Bob Dylan for years. Did you? Yeah, and then suddenly got it. Really? But I think that's what's great about music. You know, just because sometimes it annoys me if people are like, oh, you're gay, so you must like Dolly Parton. Mm. I'm like, well... Do you love Dolly? Well, me too. Actually, I don't. Really? Sorry. Well, no, not massively. I will always love you. Well, that's sweet, <laughs> but we need to get back on topic, Chris. Um, I, think, I think... And I... Yeah, but I like the Whitney version. You know, but... Oh, yeah. I don't like the sound of music. I don't like I've any... I've never seen the sound of music. It's shit. Is it? Yeah. Don't even get me started on the lederhosen. Also, I you don't like phone time. parties. I don't like listening to Sugar Babes remixes. Mm. I don't... I don't like Carly Minogue remixes. <gasps> I know I've said it. So I forgive you the George Michael thing because I think, well, you don't like it, you don't like it. And Deal has been in touch and she says Venus Williams has always been a big inspiration. How much do you love Venus Williams? I love her I so freaking much. love her. And her sister. Yeah. Did you watch that documentary when they got booed and when how racist in their hometown... No. The racism that they got when they were performing it, it wasn't one of the biggest tennis tournaments. Mm. And then they wouldn't go back there for years. Really? What they've been through, and then people body shaming, particularly Serena Williams. Yes. Uh, that's, Her yeah. body is incredible. Claire Martin has said, my parents and Matt and Luke Goss, strong and inspirational people with genuine kind nature. Matt and Luke Goss, I mean, they knew how to double denim. Didn't they? Didn't they, Joe? Absolutely great. Did, one of them, did they have piercings in their ears as well, I remember? Am I sounding like my father? My sister was so obsessed with brass. I had to sit outside. Sorry, no, this is New Kids on the Block. My sister was so obsessed with New Kids on the Block, so we had to go and wait outside New Kids on the Block Hotel for a whole day, waiting for them to come out, while she just cried on spontaneously on and off, and I read the whole of James and the Giant Peach. Oh my god, like, can you see? I'm spe- literally speechless. Speechless. I, I can't. Be- yeah. Why did you go with her? Because. That's it, really sweet. My mum, it was me and my mum and her. Mum drove us. It was so three I had of to you in. all day. We all day outside the Okay, city can house. I just tell you what? I'm going to tell you something now. She hasn't. She never has anything over you and your mum, as in, like, if she wants to do 
regressive therapy and say, you stole my handkerchief when you were four. No, no, you sat outside a hotel. Time now for our conversation with Russell T. Davis. We really want to speak to him. We wrote him a letter. Yes. And he wrote us the sweetest email back going, I'm so thrilled that you've got in touch. Because he's a big deal. I thought, oh God, he might be a bit scary. And when yeah. we got that email, I was like, God, what a lovely man. I remember, I think it was Ian McKinnon that said, but I stole the quote for myself. We rest on the shoulders of giants yeah. talking about LGBT people in the past who have been so progressive and essential the development of lgbt people in the uk and around the world and russell is undoubtedly one of those people russell has written some of the best uk dramas ever including the groundbreaking queer as folk and we started by asking him how queer as folk came about it kind of came from what i've been doing anyway because i'd spent years working on soap operas and nine o'clock dramas at granada and whatever i was working on I kept on putting gay characters into it, just naturally. No, I wasn't mm. sitting there with a placard going, I must do this, but uh, because that's what I do. If, if, if there was a son in a family, I'm the one who'd pipe at the table and pipe up and say, oh, we could be gay. Mm. coming out. So, and I did that. There was a, a female vicar in something that I worked on a soap opera called Revelations. And I said, well, she could be gay. And did a great big coming out mm. story with her. Just natural. It's not campaigning. It's just... It's just how I write and what I write well so that that was becoming a body of work mm. and you're forging other people's opinions of you so I was becoming the guy you go to for that story and then Queer as Folk was the ultimate expression of what I'd just been building up to and someone said to you you should do it right that's how it yes uh, yeah 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 I did a series at the Grand uh, a series at Granada called The Grand which is like mm. Downton Abbey in a hotel it's a vastly more unpopular <laughs> that was a sinking always thing. the end. I love that show I had such a nice time on that show and I did an episode of that that was very gay it was purely about one man coming out played by Paul Warren Clive the barman coming out in 1920 yeah, mm. it was really nice to go and research and find out what that was like and the vocabulary he had no vocabulary there was no such vocabulary and I literally found myself writing better than I'd ever written before it was as simple as that yeah. it was a great script if I say so myself I could feel myself playing I'm staring mm. at the subject. I could f- feel it get better and, uh, in my hands, in my fingers as I was typing. It was good. So that's what led to it in the end then. So it was Channel 4 and it was a brilliant woman called Katrina McKenzie who I knew would be my script editor. And so they said, we want you to write something again. They don't just give you a platter of money. It was like, it was, it was, it was slightly phrased like, if you'd like to write something gay, we'd love to read it. Mm. Because they, that's how you approach these things. Right. But it was the best thing in the world, which was the most frightening thing in the world, which is a, a clean slate, a blank mm. slate. And I spent a long time, a long time, months, I think, thinking, you can't do it. I, I said that you can't just write about gay life. That's not, that's not a that's not a story. That's not a drama. That's just real. That's like a documentary. Gay life is you know. So I thought oh, this should be a murder. You know, what if a rent boy is found floating in the canal and his family come along and he meet all the people in the clubs who discover what happened on that? And I think oh, it's just not me. I just don't write things like that. I've mm. never written crime. And then you think, wow, what if I had a friend of mine at the time who had fallen in love with a woman and, and married her was like, that's episode one they're, they're all his mates trying to stop the wedding that's been a long time I had to stop the wedding a oh, load of rubbish <laughs> you, you, know, you have to see you have to think through the rubbish to discard mm. it in the end I just sort of took, took a deep breath and just thought oh, it's just about Canal Street it is just about gay life gay life is interesting I will make it interesting mm. I will work really hard at this and make these people interesting enough to carry drama simply living their lives simply shagging and shopping and their parents and their 
work and stuff like that. I believe so. It's quite. It's funny. It's quite. It's quite formatless. You, you couldn't. You can't quite say what genre it belongs to. Queer as well, because it's essentially domestic. You don't call it a domestic drama, would you? It doesn't feel domestic. It's bigger than domestic. It's, it's actually quite hard to define. I like that. It is. Nice. Yeah. What kind of drama is that? It's about life. It's gay. Well, what can I say? It's gay. Mm. But I, I kind of had to relax and say, actually, that's enough of a, of a genre. Did you worry that there might be people in your life that would come up and go, oh, you're writing that about me? Or subconsciously, oh, you're writing yes. characters, do you think? Oh, I was nicking stuff off everyone. Any, any story anyone had ever told me is in those, is in those episodes. Every, and everything I had ever done. Um, oh, my goodness, it's all there. Mm. I've been all three of those characters. All, those three lead characters are one person split into three. Like mm. When you're cocky and sexy, when you're ordinary and a bit shy, when you're young. It's mm. that simple. It's, it's, it's very... I wasn't aware of that at the time. That's the kind of hindsight with, of analysis, but again, that's, that's why it worked. That, that's a great little device that mm. someone to really tell, tell all three stories. So, um, yes, it, it's funny. It's like, because I knew, I knew someone who was exactly like Stuart. Oh, my God, he was sexy, and he was horrible. And I, mm. and I, quite by chance, ended up sitting watching an episode with him, and he despised Stuart with all his heart. Mm. And I, he didn't know that it was basically... I just, I just said that. And he rooted up in front of me to sit there and go, dreadful, what? And that kind of sums up what the kind of man he was. In front of me and the director sitting there, what a rubbish, what a dreadful character. Why don't be a word of it? <laughs> it's you, it's just you. It's like, I've even given people, people very hard to spot themselves. I've, been, I've once given people the same name. I can use this man's name and the character, and he didn't spot that it was him at all. Because you never spot yourself, actually. Yeah. That's the truth of it. You never, you don't, you know, like when you see a photograph, and, mm. and you can't bear you know, recorded your own voice oh no like that it's, I don't know Thelma and Louise Brad Pitt <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people someone... say there's a likeness <laughs> <laughs> you're very much like Louise <laughs> <laughs> as I drove off the cliff <laughs> <laughs> do you think Queer as Folk would have worked if it was down south uh, that, that was one of the longest conversations I had with myself no one else ever raised this because uh, when they first asked me to do it, I kind of presumed they'd want it set in London just because it was a bigger gay community. And mm. um, I, I just made that up in the end that no one was thinking that. But um, I needed a smaller gay community because kind of everyone knows everyone in it. Mm. They do bump it. Can I answer it? You do. It's people do bump mm. into each other. And, and But anyway, it turns out, why did they even think about that? Because it's what a setting for drama. A single street along a canal full of gay pubs. It's like, I literally think how lucky I was that I was the person who came along and did it, and that someone else would have done it. Because it's screamingly obvious, isn't it? When you look at it, you go, God, Why did it seem so at the time? No, it wasn't at the time. It, it's kind of afterwards. A lot of things that, if they are groundbreaking, tend to be like that. You tend to go, God, that was, should always have been made. Probably you never work out what those things are in advance. It's only afterwards. After it came out, did your confidence get boosted? Did it offers? Uh, yeah, it offered, yes, billions, it, it, it absolutely yeah. opened doors in mm. terms of work. Absolutely, and that was lovely. And uh, everything I got made after that was partly because of Grimm's Folk, so enormously so. It never makes you more confident, does it? I think success makes you less confident because you've got to do it again. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's a, mm. I don't think you know that. I don't think you ever really go, ah, I've done it now, I know what I'm doing. It's like, you just go do something different, don't you? I'm just primarily selfish, to be honest. Sort of <laughs> doing it for my own means. Yes, well, there is that as well, yes. Yeah. And, and that was part of the reason for not, of course, what could have run for 10 years, I could have kept on making it, but I had other things I wanted to do. I was mm. like, great, I'm really glad that was successful. 
because there was a great freedom because really? the next thing I did was I haven't done the gayest thing at all was a series called Bob and Rose which is about a gay man who fell in love with a woman that instantly lost half the gay audience because they were up in arms at a gay man who fell in love which I loved I loved that perversity mm. of like oh the gays all love you I don't know fuck off and I, you know I really and also that story was true that story literally happened to a friend of mine and um, it's funny because I set out to write friend of mine, straight, gay, gay, gayest man in the world, fell in love with a woman, they got married, the prejudice he faced with everyone saying, oh, he's having a nervous breakdown, or she's using him for the money, or whatever. And I was like that as well. I completely disbelieved it until I sat down with him and realised it was absolutely true. It was a proper love story. So I sat down to him like that, and that was going to be like, it was, I was so angry, it was going to be like six hours about prejudice, about people being stupid, and mm. allowing these two people to love them. And then, and then about ten pages, it had been commissioned, about ten pages, I thought, six hours about prejudice because prejudice is stupid mm. it's like everyone in this drama is going to have to be stupid if they're going to be prejudiced so I was stuck about six hours to fill so I made it funny I just right. made it funny and literally I won comedy writer of the year that because it was so funny once you start turning all that sex stuff and everyone's ideas on their head mm. it came alive that show and it did have serious things to say as well I, what I think is interesting about that is everyone was up in arms oh how can that happen mm. how can a gay mm. man fall in love with a lot woman of I had such out of anything I've ever written, such toxic letters from, that, from an organisation in Britain of gay men. Really? Literally, filth, literally. ITV called the police on People talk a lot about the idea of being gender fluid and mm. non-binary, which is actually what that story is, really. Yes, it is, isn't it? Yes, 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 yes. It was sort of maybe too early. That. Yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, it was the interesting thing about the show. You couldn't make them 20 years old, the lead characters. You couldn't make mm. them 18, because who cares if they'd be, They would have been gender fluid at that age. They actually mm. had to be, the characters had to be mid to late 30s, touching on 40, to be set in their ways, in order for their ways to be turned on their heads. Mm. So that's what made it rather sweet in the end. Nice, mm. but it was a sign already that a younger generation just wouldn't have even worried about that. Mm. You know, no, except for the one. There was man. already. Lovely. There was already then. Even then, yes. Yeah. Right. So we had a lot of conversations about, about their age, sort of saying, um, you can't make this too young. It just wouldn't work. And I'm not sure you could make it now. Mm. I think now you'd say, oh, whatever. Sleep with anyone. Maybe. Don't you think? Mm. Yeah, no, there's still plenty of gay men still be up at home. I think. These yeah. things are there, moments, aren't they? Like, it's trans year this year. And that's been, yeah. And that's been like, on my, I was going to some old newspapers the other day, bizarrely. There's a 1995 copy of The Independent, and it's and there's a documentary called QED Transsexuals, The Third Sex. And the billing, quite sarcastically, 1985 says, oh yeah, we're all gender fluid these days. Because really? it's 1985, wow. that's the comment people make now. So yeah. it's funny how it's that old say Tolstoy said, the revolutions have to keep on happening. And that's very mm. true, I think. The gay ones have to keep on happening. It's like you have to you have to have a sun on East Enders coming out every five or six years. Because every five or six years there's a brand new generation. And sometimes when they said things click, trans stories, trans stories, trans this past couple of years suddenly that's clicked with everyone suddenly it's made sense in our hearts to go oh god of course that's fair mm. of course it's of equal rights just took us a while to get there do you think you will have to do keep doing that forever because you said mm. ultimately if you're talking about gay men or LGBT people whatever there are less of us therefore yes. will you just always have to there are literally less of us I saw it happen when they did that great story in his dance with Danny Dyer and his son coming mm. in Johnny Carter and uh, to be honest, as someone in his middle age, it was a great episode and the sun came out and I'm sitting there slightly rolling my eyes, I've seen this before, mm. which is not fair. And it was wonderful and people loved it. And there were kids, especially young 16 years old, going, oh my God, that's me. Oh my mm. God, I am Johnny Carter. I'm coming out. And, you know, shame on my cynicism because that just it was wonderful and literally will have changed some lives and, mm. and never mind and everyone watching. So it doesn't matter that they've seen that before. It's wrong of me to sit there and roll my eyes. I'm just jealous, really. 
when we were at uni, we were talking about how, you know, how people came out and their stories and blah, blah, blah. And someone was saying, thank God, this is a massive generalization, by the way, but <laughs> someone said, thank God for hairdressers, because it means your mum has met at least one gay person. Because when my ex-boyfriend came out, she was like, oh, yeah, like the hairdresser, you know, and it was like the local flamboyant person, that, which also, by the way, obviously you don't have to be flamboyant to be gay, but it was like... It's almost like a soap, isn't it? The culture is fascinating. That's what you do. You like arrive as a in the tribe as a jester, as a joker. So you're those camp mm. people in the sixties and seventies. You're those people in Carry On films or John Inman and how you're being served. And they're they're outliers, really. They're like the first lemmings over the cliff, and they're vital. They, they introduce jokes, so we're laughing. Then it kind of gets normalised, and, and mm. that's fine. It's 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 you know if a better sociologist could break this down to really clear stages, go culturally gays, you're not doing anything exceptional. It's what every yeah. group. Does in, in, in they were allowed fiction. to make us laugh, yes. but not be sexualised? Yes, exactly. And, and then and the sexualisation. Julian Clary was a great linchpin for that. Yes, yes, yes. And I think people there because I think the extraordinary past five years or so, it's people like Jake Shears actually, like who were camp and sexy. Mm. That, that's that's quite a brand new, not brand new, but it is actually. It's like before that you weren't really fancying the camp people, and now now I think you can mm. actually. There's, there's some extraordinary people out there. 16 years is it or something yeah it was dead it was completely dead and I always loved it literally it's like literally one of my earliest memories of life mm. is, is like when I was three watching Power of the Daleks and stuff were you not scared? yes absolutely because I thought if I cock this up it's dead forever literally mm. we, we knew that all of us were if we get this wrong if it doesn't work and it was very scary because in a way like Doctor Who's just designed to be popular it's it's like if you if, if I write something like Cucumber I'm there to tell my own story in a, in a, as, as well as I can. And it's nice if that, it's great if that works. If it doesn't work particularly with an audience, 
I can still go sleep at night because I did my best. Mm. I told the story that I want to tell. As it happens, that doesn't time with everyone, so never mind, move on. But Doctor, Doctor Who wasn't mine, and it literally, mm. and, and all, I can, I could bring things that I want to say about the world into individual episodes. And the existence of Doctor Who says a lot about the world and about British culture and about British television. But Doctor Who itself has got nothing to say. It's an adventure story in which he travels around. So that's that's hard that's very hard work coming to coming into to make that but also brilliant because it means you can make it your own and you've got to stare at it it's, it's something I've loved for mm. uh, 40 years but then I had to stare at it and say what's this about what's this work how can I make this work and what was it about mm-hmm. um, well in the end it was just it was it was simply that thing of writing it with uh, like every other drama on television the emotional life it wasn't necessarily the case in the old, in the old series so we had Billy Piper Mm. cast it to death you know but cast well mm. it's really Piper being full of life and energy so you felt it you'd be very sterile science fiction stories and so you would do that's sort of brought to it that was, that was the thing you've got to feel it's got to have people crying and laughing happy um, days oh. hard work I would have been terrified it was it was terrifying an institution on like yes. and not only that but the kind of the pictorial voice of the fans yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. because yeah I mean mm. Yes. Did they lynch you at first? Or? No, I kind of ignored it. And it's funny because I don't go to conventions and stuff like mm. that. I do. I did my job and didn't go on fan sites and stuff. It's surprisingly easy to ignore. Mm. People think you live in a world of a digital spy world. Everyone criticizing you. Not if you don't read it. Mm. <laughs> it's, 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 it's actually quite simple to get to get along with stuff. Now that's just it's, a great amount of self care. I think just so many I think you have creative to. people, people in general, don't have mm. I mean I think you're probably one of the only if not the only person I have ever met who uh, said that uh, about uh, not reading yeah 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 I think mm. it's, I think it's I dark know, days if you if you started if you're like 18 and writing scripts now and you go online and you read about yourself or 21 or whatever it's hard it's, it's tough to write anything you anyway you sit there staring like that without people shouting your ears saying you're rubbish it's, mm. And they do. They will. It's, 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 they can. Okay, exactly. And, and, and you're drawn to that. It's because they're only saying everything you secretly suspect. It's like we'd be invulnerable to that if we didn't have voices. That's why I don't need it. I don't need to read that online. Because I've got voices going, you're rubbish, you're rubbish, rubbish, in my head all the time. It's like, so I don't need more. I'm fine. And in the end, you are your best critic. You're your own best critic. Because also, also secretly, the thing we very rarely talk about is that I've also got a voice saying, you're great, you're great. It's like that. You're kind of not allowed to mention that. It's literally not allowed to. But it's there. All of them fighting all at the same time. So who needs Fred Bloggs' voice joining in with that? It's, it's that's a creative life is to be listening to those voices of your own. Mm. Ha! Yeah. So there. Um, Online communities. G- <laughs> Take that. <laughs> and with that, the big one's out of Enough for three. <laughs> enough for three. <laughs> That's literally like a, a carry-on big one. just having a big well, it's, it's breast-like. He's, he's now holding out towards me. <laughs> but the face that's holding the Bakewell tart is not a face that wants to share. <laughs> I'm actually fine. I've just had a, uh, I've just had a Jamie Dodger thing. <laughs> what else is in there? I know. My wallet. Um, <laughs> I'll have a bit of that. Uh, cucumber. How did that come about in terms of... Did someone say to you, what do you, do you want to do this? Did, did you think, oh, what do I want to say? No, I wanted to write that for years. And then, like the moment I finished Queer Folk, I kind of thought, and it's me getting older, that is the, 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 
discovering life as a middle-aged gay man. So that story built up for about how many years it passed? For about 15 years. Um, and, and all of those characters and all the... And I was dying to get back to that one after doing Doctor Who especially, which I loved, you know, I loved it all my heart. But it is all Daleks and Chasers and just around men and kitchens and sex and mm. nonsense, anger and jealousy and all of that sort of stuff. I just take me back to kitchens and bedrooms and cars and I just love mm. all that stuff. So, yeah. Um, what would you do if someone said to you now gay drama now mm, oh right would, you know would there be one mm. I know, do you know what I've never actually written is that yes I do think about that I've never written a lovely lovely love story I've got things to say about that and, and just it's funny I've done all that stuff, sort of stuff I've done not unrequited love I love unrequited love mm. I live in a constant state of unrequited love with about yes. 20 things normally when I walk past liberty well, <laughs> <laughs> I love unrequited love I think it's quite healthy oh, it keeps yeah, me imaginative and I yeah. always hope of something better well, it's always imagining what would make this happen and like it's, mm. it's not a fantasy world it's a very creative one mm. it's brilliant um but nonetheless, I do. I love, a great love story is a great thing, and I think there aren't enough gay love stories happening. Mm. Like, like Richard Curtis would write it, you know. Mm. Something. I know, I know, I know. It's, it needs a bit more than that. It needs a proper story as well. I, could, I bet it'll just turn into an unrequited love story. And yeah. I'll start out, and then someone will walk in. I go, oh, "That's somebody really loves." Because <laughs> <laughs> that's life. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a little bit too cynical to do the pure love story but actually that's what Bob and Rose is that, that weirdly I go on my a lovely love story with a happy ending and it had to be with a woman well it's you know cause I tell you what this time I always I write, I work a lot with, with, with young gay writers and, and, and fellow gay writers and stuff like that and it's a very a constant thing with gay writing is the I could show you 20 scripts where there's this story about a gay couple and the mother's like a brilliant character and there's a sister who's jealous of them and there's a bit of a chase over here and he's in debt so there's two and all of that's interesting and the gay men in the centre are quite boring mm. well, like, there's a, there's, it's hard to look at yourself it's hard to work out who you are it's hard to represent yourself it's hard to write full stop it's hard to write anything full stop but there's a real lack of a stare you've really got to stare yourself and all the gay men you know in order to put you down on the page and you've got to risk being unpopular and you've got to risk plumbing into stuff that you don't like about yourself and it's it's hard I think when someone like Queer's Law works it's because I was staring absolutely at those three boys mm. and that's what it takes any any drama work the, the, the drama my current theory about drama is is that all dramas are great when the lead characters are cleverer than the writer <laughs> and, that, and that, that, that's Doctor Who that's Sherlock that's great detective dramas like Morse or Fitz in Cracker or Jane Tennyson in Prime Suspect they're clever and I don't mean intellectually clever necessarily but emotionally clever they lead a bigger life they, they make the writer reach to try and pin that down because when a writer creates something when a writer creates a character called Stan then I write Stan and I understand Stan. I, 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 I know he had a funny childhood and his mother left so he's sad, and, but he's good at drawing and he can tap dance. So I'm absolutely in charge of him. I understand every part of his personality, which means he's a bit more stupid than me because no one actually really knows himself in the way that I know Stan. So that character is actually limited because I know him, because I've defined everything in him. He's not quite alive. The so ones that are alive... Oh, they but take beyond. I think Stu was in Queer as Folk was like that because he was sexy and arrogant. And I'm not sexy and arrogant, I am sexy. But it's like, but he was slightly beyond me, but that makes me work harder to, you know, try and reach him, we try and touch him. And that's even the youth of Nathan, there was someone that was beyond me as well. The doctor's like that. Doctor, doctor is automatically clever than the writer. He understands all of science, all of nature, all of history, all of everything. 
and you've got to sit and write that and it makes for great script it's my current theory about writing yeah. which is like lift the intelligence of everyone of everyone not, you don't have to make them swaps of intellectuals just the lives they're leading the fuller emotional life work hard as a writer are you always asking yourself that question the question, always, the question I'm always asking myself is what is this about and, and I think not enough writers do that it's that mm. you sit there going what is this about what is this about it's about this gay man it's about and I, it's, it's so easy to go off that path because you'd be sitting there it's very easy to go what is this about oh he's got a really funny mother it's about that mm. that's, ten, that's a lovely path to go on and who can't write dialogue for funny mothers you know suddenly mm. it's all flowing out of your fingers going oh yeah great dialogue it's not the point mm. it's about him in the middle it's about you've got to keep every, this is true of every script if you're writing bloody Wuthering Heights you've got to sit there going it's about Cathy it's about Cathy it's not about the malls it's not always Winston it's not always a rainy night it's not about Nellie Dean it's about these two it's about these two it's about these two mm. and that's great pieces of work with novels or whatever great songs probably just got one idea a yeah. lot of it it's like I always think that one title get one, a title for a song uh, title, yes 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 I think the thing that made really? I think the thing that made Adele an international superstar for the rest of the time is that song about you know where she's wishing him well. Never. Uh, mm. yeah, no, no, yes, that never mind. Which yeah. is never she mind. Say, no, no, I mean, never <laughs> mind. You know, she gone to that note. She got such a perfect you. emotion in there that you just go hello. She stared as an emotion. Right. Stared emotion, nailed it down in words. Like, never mind. Never mind. Not. Not. I'm so sad. I'm glad you're happy. It's. Never mind. Unless you get something perfectly phrased, whether it's a song, whether it's a poem, whether it's a film. Mm. Bang. It's hard. Oh, we spent all that. Hooray. I hope one day I'll just get two words like that and go, bang, I did it there. Mm. That's why we quote great lines from things because they did that. Um, And that's why there's not that many great lines we can quote from anything. It's Mm. it's quite a short list. Is it raining? I haven't noticed. (laughs) (laughs) I've noticed that. The stare. That's why I keep on thinking. I love. I'm going to write a book one. It's my writing theory oh, of the moment. But just stare what you're writing. If it's a sitcom, make it, that man's funny. Make him funny. It's everything. Right. It's everything you ever write. Stare at the centre of it. Don't wonder. Don't do that. What about now? Mm. I don't know if you can talk about things coming up or not. I'm trying to get something about AIDS in the 80s written that uh, no one has commissioned it. It's been turned down by everyone, and it's like um, not because they don't want gay stories. I think they kind of like. I think I think they'd probably rather it had more AIDS in it actually because I kind of it starts in 1980 before anything stuck because I think it wants to mm. tell the story of that whole decade. So um, that's proving hard to get made. But I'll just keep What's going. What's led you to want to do? In my life, really. I was like, I was I was 18 in 1980. My life kind of fits. You know, I'm just lucky. I'm just lucky. I never got. Um, I never got the virus. Um, in my life, literally, I left home in 1981. That's when it started. I was 18. Mm. That was my college years and stuff like that. But good Lord, I fit, I fit the pattern of those people, of those men. And I watched it happen. Friends of mine died. I wasn't like, I wasn't at the centre of the Holocaust. I didn't live in London, so I didn't know that many people. But goodness me, you still watched it happening. And what was that like? It's partly one I wanted to write about it because, because I didn't know any other life. So it seems quite normal. I remember the 90s. So I worked at Granada. It's like, there were a lot of gay men in Granada. It was a great cache of gay men, gay men. And there were days when you'd have a mark on your leg, you'd get a mark on your leg, and you'd wait for it to fade. Is that a bruise? Or is that the start of a sarcoma? Mm. And that, that was a normal conversation. You have to think, hello, am I going to die? I know people call it the gay disease. Mm. So, I mean, mm. the, the strangest thing about it is that if you were like a right-wing Republican Christian bigot, 
it's what you'd invent. It's, it's mm. seeing such a manufactured thing. You know, when people go, oh, it's a plague they designed in a factory, but you know, I don't believe for mm. a second, but, but it's hard to argue that one. It's, God, it, it's so targeted, specific, and yes, anyone can get it, but nonetheless, the gay sexual practices make that spot on, but I was mm. right in the fire right now for it. I think marvelously it's made me cautious and might have kind of saved my life, because I think I spent like five or six years not believing it, all the way through the 80s. I kind of thought, no, not really. Really? Which, which kind of, in, I think, gave me a kind of caution about the whole gay scene. Actually, that I was describing that to to an AIDS practitioner recently. I was saying when I was young, there was a gay sauna in Newport, and that was like the most exciting. My God, you must have been like sixteen, seventeen. Mm. It's a gay sauna in Newport. That was just impossible. And and I used to go to Newport sometimes, and I just used to walk past the door, and I'd be, whoa, that's so terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> and then walk up, I walk past the door, and actually, this 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 um, Lisa, the, the, this AIDS expert, kind of said, do you know that saved your life? Because I, because I, I, part of me is always kind of thought, well, I wish I was the kind of person who'd gone in when I was 16 and done it all. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and. <laughs> but she said, no, she said to me, she said, you know, I might have saved your life in the mid 80s. Yeah. Like that because actually, people did go in, a lot of them not very well. Because for some reason, when I'm hearing about that time, I feel angry and yes. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yes. it's making me angry and wanting you mm. to write, you know, yeah, as and you are you writing. Should too. Why do I feel like there's, there's Why a, do I there's because because it's obscene because because it was so unlucky and mm. and it you know yes it was badly handled and and the government didn't do enough etc mm. etc et I've got to say it's kind of a unique situation that a, a plague comes along and, and destroys a, a certain part of the community I'm not I'm not sure any government would have reacted very quickly because it's so strange mm. like a, I, I have a hard time could it. Uh, Goodness knows I'm not defending the Tory government here, but I have a hard time defending them when I know that I spent all those years in the 80s not believing it. Mm. I did that. And I'm right in the heart of it. And I'm going, no, not really. Really? When you're talking about your HIV AIDS story, but then I'm thinking about how you're saying every six years someone has to come out on EastEnders. It's like, mm. it's almost the same thing. You know, we had yes. Philadelphia and then... Yeah. The Matthew McConaughey film where he's the gay cowboy, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. HIV cowboy. But you know, like we don't advance with that story, do we? No, it's like same again. And, it's, and talk to eighteen-year-olds and they don't know it all happened. Mm. They don't. All those men died. They don't know. Mm. So, and that's part of the like the survival mechanism of the human race. Is mm. also, it's like that's what we do, especially with illnesses. We just move on. We don't look back. It's like there's no monument to like the eighteen million people who died from the Spanish flu, and forty wow. million in nineteen eighteen. That was that was that was the, the greatest devastation state of the human race. That that Spanish flu. People in Antarctica had Spanish flu, and five percent of the world's population was wiped out by that flu. It's absolutely astonishing. We don't talk about it much. You know, wow. someone like Downton Abbey gets a shiver and dies in the year 1918. People got nodded towards it. It was, it was an amazing thing, but that's kind of what we do with illness. We just, it's, it's what mm. we do, we survive it, actually. Mm. And we ruthlessly move on. And, mm. that, and that is hard. You know, what's unusual about AIDS is that we're also a minority and we are also oppressed in all sorts of ways and, you know, and all that, although life gets better. So, so the illness also fits our problems, weirdly. It, it, mm. it fits our cause. Like, oh, you're ignoring us, which actually challenges you to ignore us in all sorts of ways. So, mm. you know, maybe it militarised us and, and made us, you know, fight to the... Fascinating thing. Fascinating. Really fascinating. Yes. yes. It sounds fictional, doesn't it? It's that mm. if you yes. wanted a good story, you'd make this up. And the illness whole, comes along that persecutes them but makes them band together and fight for their rights. The build up yeah, to it from the yeah. 50s up to yes, yes, uh, yes, what yes. was happening legally yes. through music, 
what was happening in the clubs. Yes. It's and then the change in how people work, how gay men were, went from sort of gym bunnies to mm. apparently the thing was to not be a gym bunny. So really? Yeah, so people yeah. would think that you didn't have AIDS. <laughs> 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 then people like Brodsky beat and then yes. the fashion changed and suddenly gay men embraced looking like neo-Nazis, basically. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it, it was... But that was liberating. I was there for that. It's like for, for, for Jimmy Tomville to come along and own jeans like that and shirts like that. It, that was great appropriation for me. It was, it was like, yeah, you've done on that. We can be as gay as geese and own that sort of stuff. It's, it's, it's a fight, isn't it? It's a proper fight and yeah. well fought, mm-hmm. I think. Because of masculinity, that look, is that what you I suppose, Yes, yes, yeah. that was a very skinhead Nazi mm. look. And, mm. and that was a very gay man with an extraordinary voice opening it and just mm. saying, you can't have that. that you know, we'll, we'll have anything. Yeah. We'll just drag up with dresses. We can drag up in skin. I think that's yeah. what's brilliant about being gay and being an artist. I feel it's a gay man. Mm. The subversiveness of being able to do things. Yeah. I felt that about you doing Doctor Who. Uh, uh, right. So yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. I was like, my God, that's brilliant, genius. Mm. I just think as a gay man or gay woman, there's such an opportunity to be subversive. Yeah, it's yeah, bloody yeah. brilliant. I do find slightly that, anarchic. Do you know I yeah. find that like in meetings, I, I literally find you can be a little bit cheekier than the straight man. It's like, and again, do you know what? That's an echo of that old jester role of you know, the trailer. One is making the jokes, and we're still slightly that. Thank God. Mm. Thank God. But, uh, my God, I'm going to be intelligent here. But if you look at the jester role in drama yeah. over the years, yes. all the way back to. Shakespeare, yeah, 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 yeah. they're the soothsayers. They're the ones telling the truth. I'm not saying yes. the wise men. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the shamans, the tribe, they're, 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 the jester and the shaman are the same thing. They're it's, the ones who tell the truth and, and you know, puncture the pomposity of the kings and stuff. Mm. We rule. Uh, I do think so. I think, I think we adopt that role as well. It's like, you know, here we are talking about very serious stuff. We're doing it with each other. Very serious stuff. Having a laugh. Don't know about you, but I'm riding high after that chat. He was such a lovely guy, Russell. I think I told him this, I can't remember. I didn't watch Queer as Folk because I was too scared to watch it. I would get caught. And also it was a hit way beyond LGBT people Mm. and or only gay men. And I think that's really interesting, shows the merit of his writing. And then taking on Doctor Who, you know, taking that on. I mean, my gosh, you know, Doctor Mm. Who is like... Whovians. Yeah, Whovians. I mean, worse than hooligans. What are they called? Whovians? Whovians. 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 Oh, fun. come on. I mean, the Whovians or Whovians. They're both weird. Let's be honest. <laughs> oh, I mean, they are weird. I'm sorry, God. but they are. I'm going to say it. Call a spade a spade. He said that, People not that me. become okay. obsessed with Daleks, and they go to conventions, and they dress up, and they put, like, loads of plasticine all over their face and it's like what are you doing and you cover yourself in green it's like what are you doing grow up man for god's sake they don't exist so Will's had half a pint (laughs) (laughs) this is what happens we'd really like to know what you guys thought about that conversation so please get in touch twitter please get in touch at Will Young with the hashtag homo sapiens email us hello at homo sapiens podcast.com may I take this opportunity to say thank you to all our listeners who email all the time it is so nice to hear from you guys we read them all we read them all and we use our homo sapiens extra podcast to basically have a chat with you guys and please rate and review us in apple Podcasts. now we're told to say apple Podcasts. it means 
means iTunes. Yes, iTunes. And we will choose our review of the week on Homo Sapiens Extra every Friday. And you, not anyone, you could win the exclusive Homo Sapiens t-shirt. I've worn my Homo Sapiens t-shirt two days in a row. Have you? (laughs) Oh, that's probably the one that's meant for Josh in (laughs) Putney or whatever. Back to the tweets that we were talking about earlier. We asked if you had only just joined us. I don't know if that's possible on a podcast, but let's just say it anyway. Um, just for some unknown reason, scrolled halfway through. <laughs> Imagine. You know that this isn't live. This is. I know this isn't live, but I just want to be Jane Garvey. No one would um, let you on the air this drunk. No, they wouldn't. We were talking about inspirations who are your inspirations her majesty the queen sue cox said her majesty the queen someone said something really interesting about the queen does the queen continue to be the queen because she protects her children from what she knows is such a harsh job where you can't have a life she'd be my ultimate to interview i don't know what i'd say to her like what do you feed the corkies Kirsty Morgan has said Dan B. Harris. So Dan Harris is the guy who wrote a book called 10% Happier, which is about mindfulness. I've read it. He was a real inspiration to me and is why I started doing mindfulness, actually. So right back at you, Kirsty. I agree. Vivian Westwood, says Emma Smith. She is a fucking cool person. She's, you know, she cycles past my house. Does she? Yeah, she cycles up and down that hill. I don't know how old. I mean, she's probably 70-something, no? Yes. She's going at it. All guns. Really? On a bike that I don't think has many gears. She's very cool. She sticks to her guns, doesn't she? She won't do any interviews unless it's about the environment, and even then, Mm. very little. She is really cool. Lots of people saying they're mum. I thought we'd get a lot of mums. Mums are great. I don't think my mum's my inspiration. Wardrobe-wise, surely. Okay, let's break it down. Anyone who rocks a parasol, I'm down with. Oh, she does, actually. Well, Okay, this is what I think about inspirations. Uh Inspiration for me is sort of people that have kind of infiltrated my life, let's say from a teenager, when I'm not looking at my parents, people are dragging me sort of towards Mm. becoming an adult. And those would be shed loads of musicians from 90s R&B pop. They just would. Genuinely, they would. Well, it's interesting what you're saying, because I do actually really relate to the idea that it wouldn't be someone close to you like an inspiration is this lightning bolt person from outside your universe who you're like oh my god you have shown me a different way or something you know but i don't think i have like one inspiration there's lots of people that i've learned off okay can i just tell you a story about this person i met actually mm-hmm. and it really and he was inspiring um, is he called chris <laughs> handsome guy handsome extraordinary guy. clothes appeared over the brow of a hill and i thought who can blend mustard and navy blue like that? Only a genius. It, no. Um, it's, um, <laughs> there is... When I was going up to Manchester last week, I was outside Euston Station and there was a homeless chap called Harry. Mm-hmm. He was like, I'd say 22, 23... And I was really interested in him. And he just had like a real sparkle. And actually not sparkle, he was just intelligent. And I was there with my friend and we got talking. And he'd moved from Blackpool to come down to London because he could get on methadone quicker in London. The waiting list was less time uh, to get off heroin. And I said, I said, you know, why are you homeless? And he said, a mixture of bereavement, mental health and 
addiction. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I found them really inspiring because you can fall through the cracks, mm-hmm. you know, and once they pit someone's fallen through the cracks in the social system, it's very hard to get back, back up. Mm-hmm. And he just had this amazing kind of, it wasn't even necessarily that he was like super cheery. There was just something about him. And I found it very sad, but I found him very inspiring. And he was so delightful. And he said, oh, thank you so much for taking the time to actually talk. You know, it's really bolstered me to continue to get better. Mm. And, you know, so he was my latest inspiration. Mm. Yeah. Tomorrow it'll probably be Nelly the Dachshund again. That's it for this week. Thank you. Okay, you know what? That's it. Game over, Chris Ender. <laughs> the dogs are barking in the garden, which leaves just me to say goodbye. That's it for this week. We will be back next week and we'll be reading out all your messages on Homo Sapiens Extra on Friday. Go on, tell us what you really think. Why don't you? Get in touch with at Will Young on Twitter with the hashtag Homo Sapiens or email us hello at homosapienspodcast.com. See you next week. Will's coming back in time for the jingle. Homo sapiens. Like a whisper. It's Tracy Chapman. Oh. Homo, homo. Homo sapiens. Like a homo. (laughs) (laughs) Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Powered by Spirit Studios.